Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Multi-Ministry Task Force Press Conference. On our panel today, we have MTF Co-Chair, Minister for Health, Mr. Gan Kim Yong, MTF Co-Chair, Minister for Education, Mr. Lawrence Wong, and Director for Medical Services, Associate Professor Kenneth Mark. Please be reminded that contents of the press conference are strictly embargoed until the end of the press conference. We will be announcing the exact time later for the embargo to be lifted. May I now invite the panellists to begin with a few words. Thank you. Thanks for coming to this press conference. The number of new local COVID-19 cases has stabilised and remained low. This is the result of the hard work that everyone has put in over these past few months. I want to thank everyone for your efforts and for your perseverance and resilience. With the situation roughly under control, the task force will continue to resume more activities carefully in our journey of safe opening towards phase three. Public health and safety will remain our top priority even as we progress towards phase three. And together, we must do our best to keep Singaporeans safe. At the individual level, let us all continue to play our part by keeping up our vigilance. I know many Singaporeans are looking forward to phase three, but I want to remind everyone that phase three is not a return to normal during the pre-COVID days. It will entail living, working and interacting with safe management and safe distancing measures in place. But the silver lining is that over these few months, we have incorporated many of these good habits in our daily routine and have adapted our social norms and behaviour. The key now is not to let our guard down and let our painstaking efforts the last few months go to waste. By now, we know that these measures that, are, that we have put in place are effective in reducing the risk of transmission of the virus. We will maintain the key measures, but we will see where we can make adjustments to allow further resumption of activities. We know that interaction in large groups carry inherent risks and could easily result in a super-spreading event and large clusters. We will therefore continue to set limits on group sizes, both in public spaces as well as visitors to homes. But in phase three, we could increase the group size for gatherings outside the home from the present five persons to eight persons. The number of visitors allowed to home to visit homes could also similarly be increased to eight. This would allow families with more than five persons to be able to get together and enjoy some face-to-face -face time that no amount of virtual interaction can replace. But safe distancing remains a key measure in, the, in reducing the risk of spread. We will continue to set requirements on safe distancing as well as to disallow or minimize interactions between groups. Presently, public venues like museums and attractions are already open, subject to a capacity limit. Events like congregational worship services and wedding receptions can also be held in two zones of five persons each. In phase three, these capacity limits could be increased and we could allow events with multiple zones of 50 persons each, subject to limitations on the capacity of the venue. Masks 
should continue to be worn outside of the home and personal hygiene practices adhered to. This is now even more important as we allow more activities to resume. Timely testing is a crucial prerequisite for early identification, isolation, diagnosis and treatment of cases and is therefore a critical enabler and key strategy in our fight against COVID-19. In addition to the various community groups we are testing, the multi-ministry task force is piloting the use of pre-event COVID-19 testing for large-scale and high-risk activities. To prevent transmission at these events, only participants who test negative for COVID-19 will be allowed to participate in these events. To do this, we need tests that provide rapid results. The PCR test is still the gold standard that yields highly accurate results, but it takes time and the test may need to be taken one or two days in advance. We are exploring the use of antigen rapid tests for pre-event testing, which can return fairly accurate results quickly and can be administered just before the event. Some of the events we will be piloting will include, for example, business-to-business -business events and wedding receptions. This does not mean that we can throw caution to the wind and ignore safe management measures at these events. In fact, despite the tests, there is always a possibility that an infected person may not be detected. So even if the test results are negative, safe management measures will still have to be strictly adhered to at these events. Alongside safe management measures and scaled-up testing, we need to continue to strengthen our contact tracing regime by, by leveraging on our safe entry and trace together. For every step we take towards allowing more activities, we must have countermeasures in place to keep the risk of transmission low. This means that as we allow more activities to resume, adherence to the safe management and safe distancing measures becomes even more critical. Let us all play our part to keep ourselves, our loved ones and our fellow Singaporeans safe. And if we can continue to keep community cases low, we can continue to open up our borders safely and resume more activities and progress towards Phase 3. Phase 3 will stay until the virus is well under control, not only in Singapore but also around the world. It will therefore be a long haul. But I am confident that we can overcome these challenges together and adapt nimbly when the situation calls for it. Together, we can emerge stronger than before. I will now ask my DMS, Professor Kenneth Mark, to give a quick update on our medical situation. Thank you very much, uh, Minister. Uh, as of today, the 20th of October 2020, uh, the Ministry of Health has preliminarily confirmed two new cases of locally transmitted COVID-19 infection. Uh, based on our investigation so far, both uh, of these cases reside in the dormitories and there are no new cases in the community. In addition, uh, we have four imported cases uh, to report, uh, all of whom had been placed on the stay-home notice uh, when they arrived in Singapore. So in total, there are six new cases of uh, COVID-19 infection in Singapore today. Uh, the rest of the details uh, will be provided through an update uh, via the MOH press release that will be issued later today. Um, good evening. Uh, we've shared with you the roadmap towards uh, phase three 
And the key to remember is that any relaxation has to come with additional controls and safeguards. Uh, in some ways, you can liken the current situation to one where um, a fire has just been put out, but there are still embers of the fire lying around. Each time we make further relaxation of any measures, we are simply adding wood to the fire. And you don't know when, but at some point in time, the more wood you add, the whole thing will combust yet again into a giant fire. So the key to prevent that from happening is to combine relaxation of measures with additional safeguards, namely scaled up tracing, testing, and continued adherence to safe management measures. Uh, as you heard just now, in terms of tracing, we would like to see many more people get on board the Trace Together program and a larger scale deployment of what we call Trace Together Only Safe Entry or TT Only Safe Entry, where we integrate Trace Together with Safe Entry. So that has to happen first. Second, we will, we will be ramping up testing, including through the use of rapid antigen test kits, as you heard just now as well. And then thirdly, even with uh, more testing, with uh, better capability to trace, there must still be continued adherence to some of the key safe distancing and safe management measures. Uh, if we do all of that, then uh, we will be able to proceed with further relaxation in phase three along the lines that has been described, meaning group sizes can go up from five to eight. Events can have more than multiple groups of 50 people coming together and we can also continue uh, with our opening up of our borders and travel arrangements with other countries. When can all of these measures take place? Uh, that is the big question. And the answer is that it really depends on all of us. Because if we work together, cooperate and comply with the requirements and the measures, then we can keep community transmission rates low, and there is a chance that we can enter phase three before the end of the year. On the other hand, if we let our guard down and new clusters emerge, then this timeline will have to be pushed back and we do not know when we can resume um, going into phase three. It may have to be pushed back for a long time or even indefinitely, depending on the situation. So we really need everyone to continue to stay vigilant and cooperate with all the measures that are in place so that collectively we can continue to make good progress uh, in our journey towards safe reopening and resumption of more activities. I would like to also uh, highlight one particular sector where we which we have identified as a set sector with a higher risk setting. And this is the nightlife industry, which you know, comprises bars, clubs, karaoke lounges, as well as nightclubs. And we know these are higher risk settings. The nature of the activities themselves, uh, of, of such activities, means that you have people socializing, 
in close contact, often in a uh, small enclosed space, and the risk is very much higher. We've seen it in many other countries where large clusters uh, break out in these sorts of settings. So even at the start of phase three, when we enter phase three, we do not expect to reopen uh, these or resume these activities anytime soon. Uh, we are prepared to consider pilots in some of these settings uh, with much more stringent safe management measures in place. So we will discuss with the nightlife industry how some of these pilots can take place and what are some of the more stringent conditions. But the basic point is that we do not expect the nightlife industry to be able to reopen uh, or to be able to go back to what it used to be anytime soon, which means that the industry has to be prepared for um, quite a long period of, um, of, of restrictions being in place. So the government will put in place also assistance measures to help the industry during this period, and in particular, the assistance measures will enable business operators and owners uh, to exit, transit, and pivot to new areas. So details of that as assistance package uh, will be highlighted and announced uh, separately. Uh, all in all, it's, we, we've been at this for, I think, almost nine months now. I know it's been a long, you know, it seems like a lifetime to some of us. Um, and, you know, many people are feeling tired and fatigued, but... I think we also need to understand the fight is far from over. The situation may look stable now because of all of us working together and helping to keep the infection under control. But the situation around the world is far from over. You look at countries everywhere, many of them are experiencing a major flare-up of the virus. And the case counts continues to rise globally. The hope for a vaccine is there. There are promising candidates, but the journey towards distributing a safe and effective vaccine to billions of people around the world will take a long time. So we really have to gird ourselves for a long fight, and we should take that perspective in uh, looking at this issue. This is not something we can overcome within one or two months. We really have to be prepared for the long haul and continue with our vigilant, disciplined approach in maintaining all the necessary measures and allowing us to progressively reopen and resume activities safely. Thank you. Thank you. Before I open the uh, uh, floor to, uh, for questions from the floor, uh, I'd like to just make a, a quick correction. I might have said that uh, currently we allow uh, two zones of five for congressional service and uh, wedding receptions. Actually, it's two zones of 50. And in phase three, we could consider multiple zones of 50 each. Just a uh, factual uh, correction. Now, we welcome questions uh, from the journalists. Thank you, panelists. We will now begin with the Q&A segment. Uh, media agencies, please remember to use the raise hand function on Zoom if you would like to ask a question. And please be reminded to keep to one question only.
We'll have the first question from Cheryl from Channel News Asia. Good afternoon, Ministers and DMS. I would actually like to ask about, given the rising number of cases in Malaysia, about 800 cases a day in the past few days, um, what is the threshold for us to reconsider our current travel arrangements in allowing them to come in or, uh, with them? We continue to monitor the situation, and the monitoring is not just based on the reported case numbers in Malaysia, because we also look at the travellers coming from Malaysia to Singapore. There are already safeguards in place for such travellers, including uh, testing them when they, are, uh, when they are in Singapore. So based on these tests, we will have actual data of what sort of uh, prevalence rate uh, uh, um, the Malaysian travellers have when they are in Singapore. And they will be reflected in our imported cases. So, as I said, we monitor this very closely, whether it's Malaysia or any other country. And based on this experience, based on the actual data, based on the observations of uh, prevalence uh, from the travellers who come into Singapore, uh, we will adjust our measures accordingly. But the assurance to everyone is that our travel arrangements are not a free-for-all sort of a travel arrangements. People do come in, but there is a system of uh, stay-home notice as well as uh, testing in place to ensure that uh, they are safe before they can come into the community. Thank you, Minister. We'll have the next question from Sun Kiet from Zaopao. Uh, good evening, Ministers and DMS. Um, I have one question, which is about, are we looking at rolling out the antigen rapid tests at, uh, for incoming travellers into Singapore to resume more leisure travel in the future? At this moment, we are still using PCR tests for travel. Um, so, again, we are monitoring and considering all the different options. We are not close to considering options other than PCR tests, but the key is to ensure that whatever test we put in place is uh, able to ensure that we pick up the cases, uh, you know, sensitively and we and uh, assure ourselves that even as we open up our borders, uh, we will be able to minimize the risk of imported cases. So this is still work in progress. There are a few options that we are considering, uh, but uh, for the moment, we are still using the PCR test. I think we should also bear in mind that the type of test that we employ also depends on the purpose of the test and uh, the nature of the, uh, sub, of the um, person that we are testing on. Uh, for travellers, for example, we also will, will differentiate between uh, those travelling from uh, uh, countries, places where, with higher prevalence, or those who are travelling from countries, uh, places with lower prevalence. We may take a differentiated approach uh, in time to come. Uh, but suffice to say that we are currently still testing, validating the antigen tests. We are applying them in certain uh, circumstances, which I mentioned 
earlier uh, in, in terms of a pre-event testing where you need a large number of people maybe involved and you need a very rapid, very quick results and uh, in order for us to decide whether or not uh, we allow the person to enter into the event. So I think there are specific uh, use cases for different tests and we are trying them out in different uh, scenarios and see whether they are effective and useful for us. And uh, we don't rule out the possibility of deploying any of these tests to, uh, uh, for travelers. But it also depends on the, whether, uh, the, uh, the outcome of the trials that we are conducting now. So, very quick addition. Um, we shouldn't think of it in binary terms, PCR or antigen test and either or, because it can be a combination of both. Uh, we, all, we have also said, for example, that um, for travellers from higher risk countries today coming into Singapore, uh, they have to serve a 14-day uh, self-isolation period um, in a dedicated facility. This is the main deterrence to travel today, right? Um, and we have been looking at ways in which we can allow for people to come in without having to say, serve this 14-day self-isolation period but in return to ensure that they are safe, we deploy more frequent testing. So an example of such a use case may be, you know, a PCR test when you arrive first, maybe, but later on, the more frequent testing uh, could be done through uh, an antigen test. So there are these different combinations which we are continuing to explore depending on the settings and the use cases. Thank you, Ministers. Uh, may we have the next question from Timothy from The Straits Times. Thank you, Ministers and DMS. Now, as you mentioned earlier, I think a lot of people here are feeling very fatigued and what might help is perhaps a clearer goal of what they have to aim for, what they need to do before Phase 3 starts. For instance, two weeks of uh, no community cases. Is there something specific the task force is waiting for before moving us towards uh, Phase 3? And can we get a more specific timeline than just before the end of the year. Thank you. Uh, I, well, I tried to <laughs> explain what we were looking for just now. So just to reiterate, we want more people to come on board the Trace Together program. Uh, today, I think about 2.5 million people are on board the program, about 45% of the population. We would like that to be higher. 70% or more so that Trace Together can be more effective. And we are distributing, to distributing tokens uh, around through the community centers. I think nearly 50 centers today are already distributing the tokens and by the end of November, every CC will uh, be able to distribute tokens and you can pick it up from any CC. Uh, of course, if you don't want the token, you can already download the Trace Together app on your phone, so it's up to you. But we need that percentage to be higher. We also want to deploy more TT-only safe entry um, sort of uh, checks. Today, safe entry is quite pervasive, but not the TT-only safe entry where the safe entry is done through either the Trace Together app or the Trace Together token. So we are going to ramp up the deployment of TT-only safe entry across more public venues. We started with cinemas, we will do uh, restaurants, uh, shopping malls, um, 
all of these sort of popular venues, we aim to have them um, as TT-only safe entry. So when we do both a higher take-up rate of trace together and a wider deployment of TT-only safe entry, I think those conditions will help in allowing us to enter phase three. Uh, and as I said, if we have these two conditions and if community transmission throughout this period remains low, then there is a good chance for us entering phase three, meaning to say raising the group size from five to eight and allowing multiple zones of 50 people to come together for an event before the end of the year. I should uh, uh, clarify that um, uh, we mentioned a few measures, things like uh, uh, group size, uh, gatherings, uh, events, uh, uh, some of these parameters uh, that we will be adjusted as we move towards phase three. I should clarify that uh, we are not uh, likely to do all these measures all at one go. So some of these measures may be implemented progressively. We may uh, adjust the group size first or we may adjust the uh, uh, to permit the larger scale activities first. It depends on the situation and depends also on the, the various pilots that we are uh, carrying out at the moment. When they are successful, we may roll out earlier and as we progress towards phase three, then many of these, some of these measures will then be implemented progressively. So uh, don't uh, uh, expect a, a big bang and some day we will announce that all these measures will be implemented all at one go and voila, we are at phase three. It's not likely to happen that way. We are going to implement these measures progressively as situation allows and as our pilot turns out positive and we are more confident that we will open it. It also depends a lot on the, what's happening around the world and bearing in mind that uh, there are still a lot of uh, emerging cases uh, uh, among our neighbouring countries, uh, neighbouring regions. Therefore, we have to watch what's happening. Uh, as you are uh, aware, that we are also at the same time opening up our borders to ensure that Singapore con continues to be connected to the rest of the world and that, of course, will also uh, increase the risk of uh, imported cases and therefore it is important for us to ensure that the safe distancing measures locally in Singapore remains tight. It's also important to bear in mind that phase three is not a uh, declaration of uh, victory, that we have now uh, succeeded in overcoming COVID-19 and all of us should go around celebrating and uh, forget about all the safe distancing measures. Actually, phase three is a, is a point, is a milestone that we are, we are saying that we have now put in place uh, uh, reasonable safe distancing measures, safeguards that have been put in place to protect ourselves and we should continue to maintain these safeguards and we have reached a certain steady state and we must resume uh, uh, our activities as much as we can while observing safe distancing and safe uh, 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 management measures. So I think it's a situation where we want to continue to be vigilant, to be careful and to ensure that all the measures we have put in place are well uh, practiced on the ground, uh, all internalized among our Singaporeans and that will allow us to then continue to open up our economy and our community and that is where we will arrive at the phase three. Thank you, Ministers. Can we have the next question from Stefania from the Financial Times? 
Hi, good afternoon. Um, I wanted to uh, ask a little bit about Trace Together. So um, if uh, essentially you do not see in the next sort of weeks or months that the uh, adoption of Trace Together rises to 70% or more, uh, at that point, will you decide to make it mandatory, for example? And if that is something you're considering, at what point would you um, uh, take that decision? Um, or if that is not something that you're considering, uh, perhaps could another uh, sort of possibility that you're working towards, would that be not making Trace Together mandatory, but effectively requiring it to enter all or most venues? Well, I mentioned just now that we will be ramping up the deployment of Trace Together only safe entry um, over the coming weeks and months, or even you know, because the the once we are able to put out the Trace Together tokens by the end of November, really everyone should either have the chance to get access to a token or the Trace Together app on the smartphones. So by that time, we do expect to scale up the deployment of Trace Together only safe entry across many public venues. So with that in place, uh, we do expect uh, majority of people in Singapore to be on board the Trace Together program because they will need to be in the program either through the phones or through the token in order to access these venues. Thank you, Minister. Can we have the next question from Cassandra from Yahoo? Hi, uh, good evening. Uh, you mentioned that there will be more, much more stringent uh, safe management measures for the nightlife industry. Uh, are you able to give some examples on uh, what sort of uh, measures would be implemented when these uh, businesses open? And also, um, what's the status of the workers in the dorms? Are, are their movements still restricted? For the nightlife industry, um, I mentioned that we are prepared to consider some pilots, uh, whether it's for bars, pubs, uh, karaoke lounges, or uh, nightclubs. Uh, the additional measures that will be put in place would, you know, would uh, include, and they are not limited, but would include things like having um, testing of customers before they enter the premise using a rapid test kit. They would include uh, making sure that all the prevailing safe management measures that we already have in place today are also implemented within the premise itself, which means that people cannot intermingle. They have to have physical distance apart. Um, music cannot be loud. There, will be, there is already a prevailing um, music level for FMB that will have to be exercised. Uh, similarly in the nightlife uh, sectors. And then we would also want to find ways to ensure that these uh, safe distancing and safe management measures are fully complied with. So we might have to use, you know, whether it's CCTV or some way to ensure effective compliance with the measures at all times. So those are some of the ideas we have, but uh, 
we are still in discussion or we will be discussing this with the nightlife industry. And like I said, we are not doing this uh, for everyone. We are starting with a few pilots. That's the intent. Based on the pilots, we will consider whether it is safe to proceed. And it's also for the industry itself to consider whether it's viable to proceed. Because with all these measures in place, you know, a dance club may not sound like a dance club anymore. If there is safe management and safe distancing uh, measures, um, you know, for you to be separated from another person. So we'll have to have this conversation with the industry to consider what's the best way to proceed. And as I said, we do not expect, even with the pilots, uh, for the industry to be able to resume activities like the way it used to be, and this will be for quite some time. And that's why the government is rolling out an assistance package to help business operators and business owners consider whether or not they want to take up the package, transit out, and pivot to another area. Uh, for the migrant workers in the dormitories, uh, we are monitoring this very closely because we are still continuing to subject them to the routine testing. From time to time, we still pick up some cases, but as you can tell from the daily reported numbers, the case count has come down, and this is as we had expected, which is that with more regular rounds of routine testing, we do expect the number of uh, cases to come down because we'll be picking up more and more of the uh, cases that are perhaps the hidden cases within the community, within the migrant workers, we are picking them up and we do expect the number of cases to come down. And so progressively, uh, we will also um, lift some of the restrictions that are in place as we, um, once we are confident that the infection is under control and the case count has come down to a point where it is safe for many of these other activities to resume. So this is a work in progress and we are continuing to monitor the situation carefully. Thank you, Minister. Can we get the next question from Howie from Shinmin Daily News? Hi, Ministers. Uh, you know, recently there's a petition on uh, hoping that our local homegrown Jiuping KTV to open. And so, you know, there have been points taken up that, you know, some people raised that why we can allow maybe 2,000 people to go on cruise, but we cannot allow five people to sing in the private KTV room. Um, so even that, it would say that it would take quite a while before it can reopen. Does that mean that we, we may potentially not have a nightlife industry anymore in Singapore? And also, yeah, why the... You know, well, again, it's, so it's the nature of the activity, right? The nature of the activity is quite different and the ability to... Uh, make sure that all the safe distancing measures are indeed fully in, in full compliance with uh, what we have set out, which is that people have to avoid intermingling. They have to ensure that there is safe distancing between groups, whether it's a group size of five or later on eight, that um, safe distancing must be fully complied with. No intermingling. And the nature of the activity itself, whether it's singing, dancing, you know, if in a room with loud music where you're projecting your voice loudly, uh, these are all activities which are known to be of higher risk and are more likely to be super spreader events. 
It is not just from our own experience, it is from the experience in many other jurisdictions. So given the nature of the activities, as I said, we are putting out what we think are you know, safe, additional safety requirements in order for these activities to be able to proceed safely. We will be discussing these uh, re requirements with the industry to see if they would like to consider pilots uh, where these requirements are in place and then they can consider operating under these conditions. And if they find it viable and if they are in also able to enforce and comply with the measures, indeed uh, the activities can resume. On the other hand, if uh, the businesses find it very difficult to sustain, uh, because this is really a very different activity, right? When you think about it, the, the, with all the requirements, it's quite a different activity from what one would perceive nightlife to be. Uh, and if the businesses find it difficult to proceed or if they find it difficult to enforce the measures, uh, then they, you know, we may all conclude together that indeed it is very hard uh, to have such activities under safe conditions and the businesses themselves may find that they would prefer to exit, transit out and as I said, the government will provide an assistance package to help them to do so. Thank you, Minister. Can we get the next question from Pauling from Channel 8 News? Hi, Minister. Uh, I'd like to check on the multiple zones of 50 persons for events. Is there a number that we are looking at, like how many zones in particular? Like, is there a cap on the total number of individuals? In a way, we are still exploring the various possibilities, uh, but you have to bear in mind that uh, many of these events will still be subject to the capacity of the venue. If the venue can only accommodate two, uh, 100, then maximum you can have is uh, two zones of uh, five each, uh, 50 each, I keep saying five each, 50 each, and uh, if the venue is larger and you are able to, continue, uh, to in, uh, implement safe distancing within the venue, then we may allow more, uh, more zones of 50 each. So it will depend on, the, to a large extent, the uh, size of the venues. Uh, uh, if it's a theatre, of course the theatre has a certain capacity, and with the safe distancing measures in place, you will not be able to have a full capacity uh, uh, to accommodate all the uh, patrons. So therefore, I think uh, uh, to, a, to, to a large extent, it will be determined by the capacity of the venue, but it will be organized into zones of uh, 50 each so that uh, we uh, segregate them to prevent cross-infection between the different uh, zones. Sorry, Minister. So just to clarify, so there is no uh, limit on the total number, like I don't know, a thousand is also feasible if the capacity... Uh, that, that's right. In principle, uh, the idea is that uh, when we expand it, we may expand it to uh, just based on the capacity of the uh, venue. It also depends on whether the organiser is capable of handling such a large number. Uh, say, for example, if you are looking at um, seminars, workshops, uh, sometimes you may have a thousand participants, then you organise them into zones of 50, and then that will be a, a significant number of uh, zones. And if you are looking at uh, 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 maybe a uh, uh, cinema or, as I mentioned, theatres, you won't be able to accommodate thousands of people. You may then be limited to a few hundreds and organised into, again, zones of 50 each. Also, just a very quick uh, addition to this, that 
I think the number of people at any point in time is just one parameter. We really have to look at it setting by setting and the kind of activity that they are engaged in, which is why just now the earlier question talking about crews and highlighting the numbers of people on a cruise. But it's very different because the, number, the people on a cruise ship are not engaging in karaoke singing, they are not engaging, they are not you know, socializing in a dance club setting. They are, there are different activities and, and we ensure uh, very tightly that the kinds of activities they do on a cruise ship uh, comply with all the safe management measures we have put in place. So likewise, if you have a large number of people, but if they are gathered, seated down, and they are not engaged in higher risk activities, then it's a very different sort of risk profile from having many people coming together into a ballroom without their mask on, and then having eating, dining, speaking loudly, singing, socializing. I think the risk profile is very different. And that's why we also say that uh, we may consider more numbers for wedding receptions, but given the nature of the activity being of, uh, of a higher risk, even if we were to allow greater numbers later on, uh, we will consider uh, having uh, the guests in the wedding reception be subject to a, a pre-event test. Right? So if the nature of the activity is of higher risk, then it's not just about numbers, but we may have to either uh, think about additional safeguards and measures, whether it's through pre-event testing or whether it's through stricter safe management measures. But these have to come together. Thank you, Ministers. The next question will be from Nivida from NHK. Uh, hi, good evening, Ministers and DMS. Um, I'd like to ask about the Trace Together Only Safe Entry. Is there, could you give us a timeline for you know, uh, when, when it's going to start, when can we expect it to start and where? Thank you. We will do it progressively over the month of November. In fact, we've started, we, we announced cinemas not just recently, and then we will progressively roll out to more venues. As I said, that timeline will complement or will be done um, in conjunction with the timeline for distribution of Trace Together tokens. Because we want to make sure that as we roll out Trace Together only safe entry, that people have access either to a token or to the Trace Together app on their phones. So the rollout of Trace Together tokens will be done by end November right? because we would have distributed it to all the CCs in Singapore, all the community clubs in Singapore by the end of November. And so the rollout of Trace Together only safe entry will um, be done in conjunction with this distribution timeline. Thank you, Minister. We'll have the next question from Yevgeny from Itatas. Uh, thank you. Good evening. I'd like to ask about uh, the situation around about uh, vaccine. Uh, when it can be available uh, in Singapore? Uh, for example, Indonesian government already announced that uh, vaccine uh, could be there uh, already next month. And uh, who will be able to get vaccine first? How much it will it will cost? Thank you. 
ask the DMS to give an update on the uh, status of the vaccines. Uh, thank you very much, Minister. We are uh, um, looking to procure uh, several different vaccines, uh, but we are tracking very closely uh, the studies uh, that are taking place, the phase three studies for various vaccine candidates, uh, and we're awaiting the, uh, the results with regard to both efficacy as well as side effect profile. Uh, we have convened also an expert uh, panel uh, of uh, uh, doctors uh, and scientists to advise us uh, with regard to which uh, of the vaccine candidates uh, 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 would be uh, the most suitable for our setting. We're looking not just at uh, trying to get one or two, but we may uh, procure uh, a range of different vaccines. Some of the vaccines will be perhaps more suitable for different types of groups. We understand that uh, some of the phase three studies have started to be extended that allows uh, for testing uh, of uh, older people uh, and in, in, of, of various different types so that we have more confidence that uh, when it comes to vaccine, uh, vaccinating our vulnerable uh, population, uh, these candidates, uh, vaccine candidates, uh, do have the uh, efficacy uh, and are safe uh, for these people. Uh, based on the uh, arrangements we're making for procurement, we may see uh, vaccines starting to come into Singapore as early as towards the end of this year. But uh, more realistically, I think uh, many of the vaccine candidates will only complete um, the uh, phase three studies uh, sometime next year. Uh, and, um, and these uh, results then will be carefully studied uh, and uh, the vaccines then would uh, undergo a registration process uh, before we can uh, bring them into Singapore. So uh, it would be more likely that we would uh, be uh, uh, making plans to vac uh, vaccinate uh, uh, different uh, uh, parts of our population from next year onwards rather than uh, sometime this year. Uh, we are working through uh, uh, who should be uh, offered vaccination uh, when these vaccines uh, come into Singapore. Uh, and uh, uh, while we are still finalizing these arrangements, we are looking at the, the possibility of vaccinating the more vulnerable uh, uh, parts of our uh, population, but also uh, those who are more at risk of getting these infections uh, as a result of the work they do, being in the front line, and, and perhaps their exposure will be uh, uh, much higher. This could include uh, healthcare professionals and other frontline uh, 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 people in frontline roles as well. Uh, but the uh, actual uh, prioritization in terms of who uh, would be vaccinated uh, uh, will um, need to be further finalized after the discussions of the expert panel uh, and their recommendations to us. Uh, so that's uh, the current situation as it is. Thank you, DMS. We'll have the next question from Daryl to, from today. Thank you, ministers and DMS. Just like to ask, how did the task force uh, arrive at the eight persons for the group size limit under phase three? Uh, thanks. Uh, I, I would have liked to uh, stay at five, but of course, I think uh, five is uh, uh, quite stressful for quite a lot of people, and especially families with uh, uh, a large number of uh, uh, members. So we think that uh, if we continue to uh, be quite uh, vigilant in our safe distancing measures, and we are quite uh, mindful and uh, uh, quite serious in uh, uh, protecting ourselves, I think we can afford to increase the number as we progress towards uh, uh, phase three. And uh, we have thought about whether we should move to 10 instead of just eight. But we also have to bear in mind that uh, even within the 
public places, whether it's restaurants or cinemas and so on, uh, we still will need to ensure that uh, there's a safe distancing put in place. Even the table of 10, you probably won't be able to put in all 10 seats uh, if you need to maintain certain distance between the seats. And therefore, we are not expecting uh, all the venues to be full uh, capacity, to operating at full capacity. So we think that the moving from five to eight is probably a reasonable uh, 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 increase. And we also do not want to have sudden increase with a large number. And as a result, then we end up with a big clusters of uh, transmission. And therefore, we also have to take into account the uh, potential risk that uh, it will create by allowing a larger pool. And on balance, we feel that uh, uh, we have assessed that a, a, number, uh, a group size of eight is probably more manageable. And uh, we will look at how, uh, whether we can tweak it further as time goes on. Uh, let's say, for example, if you are uh, able to introduce uh, uh, pre-event testing and so on, we may be able to allow a larger number when, when the time comes. But uh, for the time being, I think moving from five to eight is a significant increase, and we need to continue to make sure the safe distancing measures are put in place at the venues so as to minimize the risk of super-spreading e uh, events and to minimize the risk of uh, big clusters uh, being formed. So I think taking into account uh, all these uh, uh, precautionary factors, we've decided that uh, uh, a group of eight is probably what we can uh, afford to increase to. Uh, uh, when, time, when the time comes. Thank you, Minister. We have time for the last two questions. Can we have the next question from Philip from Bloom, Bloom, Bloomberg? Yep. Uh, thank you very much. I'm not sure to what extent anyone on this panel is involved, but I thought I would just ask this question anyway. Uh, Singapore, like the rest of Southeast Asia, is in the process of negotiating vaccine deals with manufacturing countries like China, the U.S., and in some cases, Russia. How worried are you about facing pressure to give ground on issues not related to vaccines as part of any deal to secure one, and what has been Singapore's experience? Thank you. I think you have to repeat the question now, uh, Philip. The sound uh, not so clear. Okay, I'll try again. <clears throat> um, Singapore, like the rest of Southeast Asia, is in the process of negotiating vaccine deals with manufacturing countries, for example, China, US, and in other cases, Russia. How worried are you about facing pressure to give ground on issues not related to vaccines as part of any deal to secure one? And what has been Singapore's experience? So far, we have not encountered major uh, obstacles in uh, negotiating with uh, supplies of uh, vaccines. Uh, it's all a, a matter of uh, uh, the state at which the development of vaccines is, is in. And we have, as uh, DMS mentioned, explained, we are in discussion with the multiple uh, suppliers so that we are mo monitoring them very closely. And uh, we also have to bear in mind that um, uh, not all the vaccines may be successful eventually and therefore we have to diversify our risk by uh, engaging multiple suppliers in the negotiation and uh, in our negotiation we also look at uh, both uh, price quantity as well as uh, efficacy and safety uh, and uh, different vaccines will have different characters different nature and some vaccines may be suitable for certain groups of people they may have a counter indication for 
uh, different groups of people, whether they are suitable for us, uh, for our use, is also has to be has also have to be decided on, and how to apply them. And as uh, uh, DMS mentioned, the priority uh, in who should get it first is something that we are working on. The expert groups are discussing how to manage the uh, distribution, uh, the vaccination of the population, and uh, who should be given priority, whether it's a vulnerable group, whether it's the frontline workers, and also depends on the nature of the vaccine. And there's also a, a possibility of uh, adverse uh, effects from the vaccines. As, as you know, the vaccines are, uh, have not been tested over a long period of time. Uh, many of some of the uh, adverse uh, effects could only occur over a, a longer period of time. So we also have to bear in mind uh, the potential risk of these uh, vaccines. So it's a balancing between the benefits and the risks in determining what vaccines we should adopt and how we should apply it uh, in the local context. So in negotiation with the manufacturers, we will continue to negotiate with them and we are continuing to explore uh, 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 new manufacturers, new candidates that come uh, on stream and we keep our options open and we will continue to uh, secure additional uh, supplies and uh, diversify, diversify our sources. Thank you, Minister. Uh, our last question will be from Howie from Shinmin Daily News. Hi, Minister. Um, so my question is, um, I know it's still early now, but can we have a rough guide on how much will the antigen rapid test cost? It's like twenty, thirty dollars, fifty, sixty, eighty, hundred, or what? A rough range. Um, we are um, actually still uh, trying to finalize the costs, uh, both with uh, the manufacturers of these tests, because uh, to some extent it depends also on the volume that we order and procure, but also because uh, what ultimately is the operating cost for testing is not just the cost of the test kit, but it's also the operating cost associated with the whole process of uh, delivering pre-event testing. Uh, so we are uh, trying to work this out. Uh, we are quite confident that this would be uh, much lower than what it would be for uh, PCR testing. Uh, but uh, where the final landing point is in terms of the actual costs incurred uh, using uh, these antigen rapid testing for uh, pre-event uh, settings uh, uh, hasn't been finalized yet. Uh, certainly for the pilots that we are doing, we have committed to uh, uh, um, making sure that these are provided uh, are free because uh, we will be paying for this uh, uh, for the pilots themselves. But once we've uh, completed that, uh, we will be providing further updates uh, whether or not uh, uh, testing in, in the pre-event setting uh, will be charged once we scale this uh, as a mainstream activity. I think it's useful to recognize, I know in terms of cost figures, you will, you know, go online, you, you, you look at what some of these manufacturers are doing overseas, you will find a range of cost figures. Uh, we have to work out the manufacturer cost, as DMS said, uh, in Singapore, depends on procurement, depends on the range of factors, but it, the test cost itself goes beyond the manufacturer cost. It's really the end-to-end, -end, right? Because all of these tests so far, in terms of the antigen tests that we are looking at, still require a no-swap. Right? You have to do a swap, you have to collect the sample, and then you have to get it tested. Uh, so all of that has to be factored in, in terms of how that cost uh, will work out when it is applied in the different settings that we are considering. 
Of course, there may well be new test kits that uh, may not even require a nose swab. For example, uh, there is a company that's now looking at uh, using breath, uh, breathalyzer, right? So it's a, you just using your breath, they do a test and then they get the results after, you know, in a very short time. That doesn't require a swap, but it requires different set of machines in order to run through. So the cost will be different. And so we are exploring a range of different types of tests. Uh, there are some that are more readily available. It's already been um, done overseas and we are bringing them into Singapore and we will be, be able to roll them out quite soon. There are some that are still being piloted and so the deployment time may take a bit longer. But I think this full range of different rapid test kits will complement the PCR test and together with the scaled up contact tracing, trace together, we talk about this enhanced testing regime, PCR plus rapid test kits, will allow us to enter phase three safely. Thank you, ministers and DMS, for your time. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We have come to the end of the press conference and the time is now 6.39pm. The embargo is now lifted. Press materials will be disseminated to you and video footage, photographs and the sound feed will be emailed to you shortly. Thank you and have a nice day ahead.